everyone, and welcome to Sugar Pills, your practical guide to self-care. I'm your host, Candy Washington, and I can't wait to help you lead a more joyful life. So let's get started on this week's episode. everyone and welcome back to Sugar Pills, a practical guide to self-care. And before we get started on today's episode, which will be a very lively conversation with Dr. Candace Setti, don't forget to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Please share with a friend who might need a little bit of self-love and self-care. Take a screenshot of yourself with your aha moment from the podcast. Tag me over on Instagram at Candy Washington, and I will show you a little bit of love back and repost your tag. Also, don't forget to look in the show notes for some free self-care goodies and how to join me and also on some uh, free resources on how to better take care of yourself. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Candace Setti. She's a therapist, author, speaker, and coach, and a former yo-yo dieter. She's committed to helping others achieve health and wellness while gaining self-confidence, stopping self-sabotage, and achieving their goals. So she is definitely in the right place, and you guys are in the right place. I'm so excited to talk about all of these topics today. <laughs> Her new book is The Self-Sabotage Behavior Workbook, a step-by-step program to conquer negative thoughts, boost confidence, and learn to believe in yourself. It is now available wherever books are sold, and I will also have a link to it in the show notes so you guys can go down there and just click and buy. And it will also help you to learn the process of overcoming your own self-sabotage so you can get your own life back and live a confident, empowered life. So with that, let's dive in. Welcome, Dr. Seti, and thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Candy. I'm excited to be here today. Absolutely. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about your journey to writing the book? What inspired you, some of your own experiences, and maybe some things that you've learned from your patients? Sure. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm first and foremost, a, a clinical psychologist in private practice. So I work with individuals one-on-one and, and I've specialized in weight loss, weight management and, um, eating disorders. And so working with that population, there's, there's always a level of self-sabotage that's involved in, in everything that happens. And part of that process is helping them overcome their own self-sabotage. And it's not just in regards to food, it's, it's throughout their whole life. So while my first book was, was focused primarily on weight management and reaching out to that population, I found through my work and through my practice that this really applies to everyone. I mean, everyone self-sabotages in some way or another. And when I talk about this concept with everybody, they always nod and go, oh yeah, I totally do that. So it just became this, this natural thing to pr- progress into um, the idea of taking the concept of self-sabotage and expanding it well beyond just weight management and looking at how it applies to everything, whether it be career, relationships, you know, self-care, just personal aspects, everything, all the different ways that we self-sabotage and and what people could do to get past it and truly start living their lives. Yeah. And I think, um, I think a good thing to do is how are you, how do you define self-sabotage? Like, what is it? Cause I know it's a buzzword. We talk about it, we throw it around, but we might not know exactly what self-sabotage, self-sabotage really is. So how do you define self-sabotage? 
From a very simplistic standpoint, I mean, it's the idea of just getting in your own way. It's the idea of, you know, preventing yourself from achieving what it is that you think you want to achieve. And, you know, when I, when I do uh, presentations on this, I have a, a cartoon graphic that I use, which is mm -hmm. like a man standing on a tree trunk and he's sawing at the tree trunk, but he's sawing on the end that he's on so that he falls <laughs> off with the tree trunk. Uh, I'm not sure how well that translates verbally, but, you know, the idea is that you're, you're preventing yourself from achieving what you want. And it's this concept that on paper sounds so silly, right? Why would anybody do this? Why would anybody do something to stop them from achieving what they want? But in reality, it's something that everyone does. And so, you know, the, the obvious next step is to look at not only why we do it, but how we can stop ourselves from doing it because it is such a widespread phenomenon. Absolutely. Um, and then what are some forms of self-sabotage? Like I know for me, I'm a recovering people pleaser, codependent personality type. Uh -huh. so, yeah. So um, a part of my self-sabotage was perfectionism. Like uh -huh. I had to have everything, you know, be perfectly in place, everything perfect, 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 perfect. Uh -huh. um, so for me, that was one of the ways that I was self-sabotaging was through perfectionism. And I know some people do they procrastinate, you know, they'll put things off, off and off, or they might say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a romantic partner, but yet when they find someone who's great, they pick fights, they'll find fault where there may really not be any fault. Um, so how, how do people self-sabotage? How does that show up in somebody's daily life? Well, you already hit on several of them, <laughs> yeah. um, which is great. I, I, I highlight nine different types of self-sabotage in my book, mm -hmm. and they're the the things that I see most commonly in people. And perfectionism is absolutely one of them. Procrastination is one of them. Avoidance is one of them. Mm. Self-attack is one of them. Um, but they're, they fall into different categories. And I identify types of, of self-sabotage that create self-fulfilling prophecies, meaning you know they, they basically set you up to have the outcome happen that you're sort of trying to avoid or trying to prevent. Mm -hmm. um, there are types that remove positives from our lives, things that, you know, by engaging in these types of behaviors, we act, actually prevent ourselves from having positive experiences. And then there are types that ultimately end up lowering our self-worth or, you know, essentially negatively impacting our self-esteem, which becomes this sort of snowball effect for continued procrastination, for continued avoidance, for continued overthinking or whatever the behavior is. So it manifests in all different types of behaviors in all different ways. And because it has so many different manifestations, it can be applied to almost any scenario you can imagine. I mean, when you look at somebody who procrastinates in ways that they can procrastinate versus somebody who maybe is an overthinker, mm -hmm. and that, that can ultimately end up being a form of sabotage or somebody who's an avoider, right? And how that can be a form of sabotage in so many different scenarios you know, as opposed to somebody who's a perfectionist and how that could set them up, you know, to, to maintain control issues. So it just comes out in so many different ways. And, you know, when you start to look at this, it's really, really helpful to understand your own personal form of self-sabotage, like you just described saying, you know, I know this is what I did. Mm -hmm. When you can see that, then you can start to fight it. You can start to work on it. You can start to overcome it. But, you, but it's important to have awareness of what you do in order to be able to change it. Absolutely. Um, 
so, you know, we've defined self-sabotage as, you know, preventing yourself from achieving the goals that you set out for yourself, whether it's career, love, body image, weight loss, finances, whatever aspect of life. All of it. Yeah. All of it. And then the way that manifests, you went through nine, you know, clear cut ways of how that manifests in your life. Mm -hmm. But so I think the next step is to understand why. So why do people self-sabotage? Like what's that, what's are some of the root causes of it? Um, well, it's rooted in several different factors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, the anxiety can be a huge causative factor for people, people who are prone to anxious thinking and forms of self-sabotage can be protective of that. You know, things like avoidance, like I talked about the avoider, which is a classic self-sabotage style, um, can avoid situations that cause anxiety. And in doing so, they, they take care of themselves and then convince themselves that that was a good thing to avoid that situation, which, you know, reinforces the behavior. So anxiety can be a huge factor. Um, comfort can be a huge factor. As human beings, we, we fundamentally try and keep ourselves comfortable. And where we're comfortable is where we've been, where we've spent time, you know, situations that we know. So newness unknown factors, right? All of these things are uncomfortable for us and scary. So we tend to want to avoid them. And if you look at any example, somebody who wants to start a relationship, somebody who wants a promotion at work, right? Um, Somebody who wants to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Maybe all of these situations are things that they want, but they're also places they haven't spent any time. So they're scary and unknown and therefore uncomfortable. And so because we're driven to keep ourselves to, in a place of comfort, we tend to want to avoid or sabotage getting to those places. Um, you also see things like imposter syndrome come into play here. The idea oh, that yeah. people, yes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that idea of feeling like a fraud that can come up a lot. And, you know, for people who struggle with that, the more you call attention to your successes, the more likely you feel you are to be called out as a fraud. So the idea is not to call attention to your successes. And the best way to do that is not to have them, right? So imposter syndrome can keep people from putting an effort, from trying. And all of these things ultimately come down to these these big, deeper fears that I identify, fear of success and fear of failure. Mm -hmm. And those two things ultimately drive all of these, these issues in terms of of self-sabotage. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand that or, or question why that might be. And, you know, the idea of, you know, if I'm scared of failure by self-sabotaging, I'm, I'm creating failure, right? So why would I do that if it's the thing I'm scared of? And the reason is almost always control. Because if, if, I, if there's a potential for me to fail, I would much rather fail in a way that I've controlled than in a way that surprises me or is unexpected or I'm unprepared for. And if I control the failure, I can say, oh, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Or, you know, I I didn't study for the test at all. So, of course, I failed Mm -hmm. as opposed to having to work really hard to study for the test and then fail. In that situation, I'm incredibly disappointed. I'm incredibly let down. I'm embarrassed. I'm shamed. Whereas if I can just say I didn't study for it then it's no big deal that I did that. And so that fear of failing causes us to take control of the failure so that we're more comfortable with it. 
And the fear of success has a whole bunch of other issues associated with it. Um, there is the, the what now effect that tends to come with success. So a lot of us put all our eggs in one basket, so to speak, when it comes to the idea of succeeding. Maybe we really, really want a promotion at work. And so, you know, we want to work really, really hard to get it. And we think, oh, once, once we get it, it's going to make everything good. And then in that scenario, once you get it, there's a couple problems here. One is now what? I've been, I've been working for how long, how many years, whatever it may be, to try and get this. And, and now what do I do? Now what happens? And then there's the other issue of what if it doesn't solve all my problems? Mm. What if it doesn't make me happy? I've been sitting here for how long saying this is all I need to be happy. And now I'm here and I don't know if I'm happy. So what do I do with that? And what happens if that happens? Then everything I've been, been striving for ends up being false. And that's a whole new problem that a lot of people don't want to face. You know, what if, what if I'm not happy and not fulfilled after I reach my goal? And then what? Yeah. Yeah. Just listening to you, it, what came up for me, like the root cause of all of it, when you're talking about, you know, like the fear of success, the fear of failure, um, you know, not wanting to change, like being avoidant, getting out of mm -hmm. your comfort zone is just the question of if who I am isn't enough. Mm -hmm. you know it's like if I if just if, if who I am intrinsically just isn't enough and I think that was really like the theme that came up when you were talking you know mm -hmm. again when it goes to failure it's like well you know oh I didn't fail because I'm not good enough I failed because I didn't study yep. you know yep. like exactly what you said so I can externalize that I can externalize it exactly mm -hmm. and then exactly like you said about success you know a lot of people get quote unquote, there, wherever mm -hmm. there is. And then they're still unhappy because yeah. who they are isn't fulfilling them. They haven't tapped into that sense of self, that inner peace. Exactly. Um, they put they it have. into all of these external factors and these external goals without actually working on themselves. Exactly. So I guess, um, you know, self-sabotaging is a way of of comforting yourself almost, like where it's not comforting, protecting. It's like a self-protection. Yes. Right. Yep. So it's like, if I fear that I'm not enough, well, if I don't actually fail, if I don't actually succeed, I don't have to find out. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to face it. I don't right? have to face it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. That's right on. Yeah. Yeah. And um, another thing I wanted to ask you about that came up when you were talking was um, you said about self-fulfilling prophecies. Mm -hmm. I think this is huge because I think this is so tied into negative self-talk, right? Mm -hmm. So yep. when you constantly have that negative loop of self-talk, of course, what you manifest in your life will be negative because everything you're putting out is going to prove you right. Yep. So, um, so what are some ways that we can sort of combat or pivot from um, negative self-talk and, and stop and start having positive <laughs> self-fulfilling problems? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's all about combating these habitual thoughts and these habitual mm -hmm. processes, right? I mean, when you have somebody who has negative self-talk, so, you know, something simple, like somebody who avoids situations, like I'm not going to go to that party because I know I'm not going to have fun. Or, you know, I'm not going to go to that party because nobody's going to talk to me and I'm just going to stand in the corner. And, you know, that could become a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that they they go to the party and they stand in the corner and because they're standing in the corner, nobody talks to them. Yep. And so they've said, yep, I'm right. That's exactly what's going to happen. And the idea, you know, I, I mean, I go through a lot of different ways to combat 
self-sabotage, but one of the ways using that scenario is through opposite action. By taking the exact opposite behavioral action that you anticipate and using it as a form of evidence gathering to see what happens. If I go to that party and I don't stand in the corner and I make a point of going up to 10 people and introducing myself and asking them about themselves, what will happen? What will the outcome of that be? Will I still have a miserable time? Will it still be a negative experience? Or is there potential for something positive to come out of that experience? So challenging you know, your, your thought processes and creating new behavioral patterns to see what happens as a result of them, because you already know what happens as a result of your existing behavioral patterns. And, you know, the other idea is I, I talk a lot about negative self-talk in the form of cognitive distortions and ways that we, we tend to distort information to fit into these, these schemas in our head. Right, the idea of thinking in terms of all or nothing terms or dwelling on the negative, right? The idea of, you know, getting 10 compliments and then somebody talking to you without giving you one and deciding that that was more meaningful than the 10 compliments you got. Mm. And, you know, using that, understanding your thinking patterns to start challenging them and embracing them as being faulty and finding the faulty logic in them and responding with logic. So if I assume that my thought patterns are illogical, let me look at them and let me challenge them with what, what would be a logical thought. I've gotten 10 compliments out of 11, right? That's, that's a really, really high percentage of compliments. That must mean something pretty positive, as opposed to saying, I didn't receive one compliment, so that much must be a negative thing. And so looking at the logic behind it and starting to inundate yourself with those thoughts so that those thoughts become more habitual than the thoughts that you've been so used to. Yeah, I love that. I love challenging your own thought process and challenging the own, your own, sometimes exactly like you said, you know, distorted logic that you've created to, to make your thoughts right. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I had um, a conversation with uh, my personal therapist about this and I was telling her how one thing that I had noticed was that my relationship to my thoughts had changed. You know, it was more of, um, I was more aware that these are the Mm -hmm. thoughts that I'm thinking. And is this a thought that makes me feel better? Does it make me feel worse? Like, what is my relationship to these thoughts? And then how can I think a different thought that makes me just feel better? You know, how can I take ownership of the relationship that I have to my thoughts rather than getting down this rabbit hole of like Uh thinking or anxiety or whatever Mm -hmm. it is where you kind of, you know, give the power to your thoughts. Yeah. Rather than remembering that you have the power to think your thoughts. Yeah. And it's such, such a great, great process you're describing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I, when I work with people on self-sabotage and again, in my book, when I talk about how to combat this, the Mm -hmm. first thing is just paying attention to it, right? Understanding it, hearing it, right? If you have these sabotaging thoughts, can you, can you hear them? Can you acknowledge them? Can you say, this is how I sabotage? These are my sabotaging thoughts. This is what comes up for me. Because if you want to fight it, and, and I, I talk always in terms of this concept of fighting and being like, a, I use the boxing metaphor a lot, <laughs> the idea of fighting this and becoming a sabotage warrior, you know, you need to understand it. You need to know how your sabotage works in order to be able to fight it. And you have to pay attention. You have to listen to it. You have to focus on it. And that's always got to be the first step for everybody. 
absolutely. Uh, you know, paying attention, being aware, and then just trying to be more of a conscious thinker mm-hmm. um, instead of stuck on autopilot. Yep. So yeah. What, what are some um, tips and tools on how to pay more attention to your thoughts, you know, to get that clarity and awareness? Like I know for me, I like to, to meditate. That's something mm-hmm. that I've started doing um, for the past maybe a year or so, maybe a little bit longer. And that's definitely been a game changer. So do you have other tips and tools on, on how to get that clarity around your thought process? Yes. And meditation is great. I encourage everybody, especially people who have never tried it, to, to give that a shot to see if it's an opportunity to get at some of those thoughts. But I also have them just keep thought logs. Mm. And when we talk about self-sabotage, almost always, I mean, I would say 99%, if not more, 99% of our self-sabotaging thoughts are negative thoughts. So if you just start paying attention to when you have negative thoughts, and that can be, you know, just catching the thought, it can be when you feel something negative in your body. It can be when you feel withdrawn, when you feel sad, when you feel lonely, when you feel emotional, when you feel down on yourself, there's almost always a negative thought or multiple negative thoughts that initiated that or that led to that. And so using those triggers of, of feeling bad, feeling down, feeling negative to start looking at, okay, well, what were the thoughts that, that precipitated this? And to start logging them, to simply start writing them down as you catch them so that you can start to see patterns emerge. You can start to see where repetition takes place. Are you having the same thought over and over again? Are you having you know, derivations of the same thought over and over again? Are they falling into different themes? Are they occurring in similar situations mm-hmm. or at different specific times of day? Or are certain things coming before them that always tend to lead to them? Are there specific situations that always set you up for those thoughts? And simply by writing them down, you have this log that you can refer back to and say, what's going on here? And it becomes just this this pool of data mm-hmm. on your thoughts for people that they can then say, okay, now I see what I do, when I do it, and how I do it. Now let me take that and start fighting it. Absolutely. I love, I love that, you know, uh, journaling and having a thought log. And also it came up, came up for me when you were talking was um, one thing that I do when I'm like journaling or, you know, things like that, if there is a negative pattern or theme that emerges, I try and think, when was the first time I believed or someone told me that I wasn't good enough or mm-hmm. I was too fat or too mm-hmm. thin or too mm-hmm. that or not enough of this, not enough of that. Like, when was the first time I was told that? When was the first time I believed that? So I mm-hmm. think that for me, that helped me to realize, well, who said that in my childhood? What events happened that st- started that belief in my mind that I've now brought into my adulthood that is now sabotaging, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you're told growing up, you know, everybody who's rich is evil, then yeah, maybe you might start mm-hmm. sabotaging yourself when you're starting to make money because you have this faulty belief that rich people are bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's it's such a good example yeah. though because it's it's amazing you know not everybody can can remember that but the people mm-hmm. that can it's amazing how it can be one fleeting comment that happened when you were 11 years old mm-hmm. that you realize has shaped your whole perspective on something that you've held on to so strongly and i've i've heard it like your example 
so many times from my patients about, you know, when I was 11 years old, somebody said to me, oh, you know, make sure you, you tuck your shirt and you don't want somebody to think you're fat or, yep. <laughs> you know, your cheeks are like, you know, one comment from childhood. Yeah. And, you know, this is like a 50 year old woman that still remembers that like it was yesterday and still holds on to it and is realizing how much it's shaping their whole self-perspective now as an adult. So it's really fascinating to identify that and, and be able to start digging into that. Absolutely. Like I was watching um, some, some shows, it's probably like a guilty pleasure, like reality show. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like obviously like everyone in the cast, like were like, they were like very thin and very fit, but they always had this narrative of, oh, we need to be working out and like, you know, eating salads and being healthy and blah, blah, blah. And then they had one of their kids on the show. She was maybe like seven or six. And she had made this comment like, oh my God, my thighs are so big. Mm. And she was like this like beautiful, just healthy looking child. Oh, and in gosh. my mind, I thought, there it is. Yep. Like that's where it starts, where it's like, you're that child. And the people that you look up to, the adults in the room are saying these like negative self-defeating things that you then take on as a belief about yourself mm -hmm. yep then that's yeah. when the reality gets distorted mm -hmm. you know yeah, it's heartbreaking I, to see it, it. it. yeah like yeah. I, I saw I remember watching that and I was just like oh that's that's the childhood stuff we're talking about mm -hmm. like oh there it is you know it was just like and the adults weren't paying attention they weren't thinking about what they were saying and then they've had this impact on this child and so it's just like there it is and that yep. child will probably grow up, you know, having a love hate relationship to themselves. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right on. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the most surprising things that you've learned about self-sabotage and the healing process from it, just from like either your own journey or, you know, without disclosing any personal Climate. Oh, no, no, that's fine. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's always kind of fascinating to me how when people start to embrace the process of fighting this, mm -hmm. it is so liberating and empowering. And again, I, I always refer to it as this, this fight and, you know, this, this warrior mentality because of the way people respond to it, because it, it produces, you know, this, this feeling of strength and power when you are able to really see it and realize your capability in, in fighting it and overcoming it. And, you know, I've seen it over years and years with my clientele and I love it every single time. Um, you know, I, I never stop being enthralled by the process and by seeing how people really take to it and how much it really does you know, strengthen and empower them in so many different ways. It's just one of my favorite things to see. D definitely. Um, and I think uh, when what you're saying about the empowerment, for me, what came up was just like, again, like that being rooted in self-worth, where mm -hmm. if I fail, I'm not a failure. This is just an event. Or if I succeed, my worth isn't defined by my success. Like I'm yeah. still worthy regardless. So I love that. Yeah. I mean, like you were talking about before the idea of, you know, you know, so much of self-sabotage being rooted in, you know, finding out who I am isn't enough. Mm -hmm. And in the process of fighting it, you know, the, the, you don't have that to find out because you've already decided that you are enough, regardless exactly. of what happens, regardless of what, what path you take. Exactly. So for those who 
might be listening, who might identify with what we're talking about and might feel that, you know, they might be suffering from self-sabotage. What are some things that they could start doing um, today or like in the next few weeks or like what plan could they put into place to, to start taking their power back? Well, like we, we just talked about, you know, using, you know, any of these tools to start identifying their self-sabotage and getting mm -hmm. a feel for how it actually plays out, you know, it's, it's style, so to speak. Um, you know, you talked about meditation as a tool to kind of access that, which is great. Um, and, you know, combining that or some sort of focus with doing this, this sabotage log, really starting to track your thoughts and pay attention to when these negative thoughts pop up and, you know, just jot them down. Keep, keep a notebook with you all the time. And anytime you have one of these negative or self-defeating thoughts, just make a little note of it. Mm -hmm. And over time, you know, after a week or two, you can go and look back and start to identify where is this happening most frequently? What are some of the precursors that set me up for this? How do these thoughts generally play out? And from there, you can start using some methodologies to fight some of the things that we already talked about, like coming up with more logical responses to what we're assuming is an illogical negative thought, or, you know, using, you know, a tool like opposite action in a situation mm -hmm. to challenge it and to really, you know, bring more evidence into, into the situation or using a tool like simply disengagement, right? I mean, when we have these thoughts we give them power by responding to them. And, you know, I talk about your, your sabotage as being a voice in your head and the idea of, you know, hearing your sabotage voice to be able to start tracking how it plays out. But you can also choose to disengage from it in those moments. You can tell it to shut up and leave you alone and not give it any attention or any power at all by simply saying, I'm out. I'm not listening to you. I'm, I'm doing what I need to do or I'm taking care of myself and your thoughts are not important right now. You're your voice is not important right now and using a tool like disengagement to just, you know, disconnect from it. So all of those are ways that you can kind of start right now to start changing your thought patterns. But again, step one always has to be understanding how your thought patterns play out. Absolutely. And I, um, I would just add to that also, you know, seek support with a therapist. So absolutely <laughs> for everyone listening, Dr. Seti, um, she maintains a very busy private practice in San Diego where she works one-on-one -on -one with individuals. And she, um, also does online virtual, um, sessions as well. So for everyone who's listening, who might want to connect with her, I'll have all of that in the show notes. So if you guys want to connect with her and maybe get some guidance on that as well. So definitely reach out for, you know, a therapist or a psychologist to help you on that journey. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Seti. This has been such a wonderful conversation to have. Oh, good. And, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have a you have a lot of insight into the topic too, which is great. And I'm mm -hmm. sure your your listeners will benefit from hearing your personal experiences. Absolutely. Um, so if you had one piece of wisdom or one piece of guidance for us that you wanted to leave us with, what would that one kernel be? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to tie into the broad concept of your show here and just focus on self-care. Um, you know, self-care and self-sabotage have a very chicken and egg relationship as both can cause both, right? We can, we can self-sabotage by not providing ad adequate self-care for ourselves, but we can also 
not provide adequate self-care, which can increase our self-sabotage. And like I was saying, I talk a lot about the idea of fighting your self-sabotage. And self-sabotage tendencies can feel significantly more overpowering if you are drained or if your metaphorical cup is empty, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you know, if you are not doing what you need to do to take care of yourself, you won't have the strength, the tools, the resources to be able to fight. So, you know, focusing on getting good sleep, focusing on putting good food in your body, focusing on hydrating, focusing on, on taking me time, focusing on saying no, focusing on, you know, creating downtime for yourself. All of these things are things that take care of you and allow you to, you know, replenish. Again, fill that metaphorical cup so that you have the strength, the capability, and the wherewithal to, to engage in the fight, so to speak. Yes. No, I love that. And I love that you call it a fight because I think, you know, our worthiness and our love, it's, it's worth fighting for. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're worth fighting for. And I think that's the essence of it, right? Of self-care, of self-love. Absolutely. Of stopping Absolutely. Everybody is. Yeah. Like you're worth the fight, like your happiness and your success and, and your relationship to yourself is worth mm -hmm. the fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, very well said. I love that. Yeah, I love that too. Thank you. So for everyone, I will have how to get uh, Dr. Suddy's book and how to connect with her online in the show notes. But if you want to share with us any other ways that we can connect with you or reach out to you or follow you, let me know. Um, okay, great. Yeah, I mean, my, my websites are meonlybetter.com and theweightlosstherapist.com and all my contact information is on there as well as all uh, my links to social media and all that fun stuff if you want to follow me there. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Seti. Thank you so much for having me, Candy. This was great. Mm -hmm. And so for everyone listening, don't forget to please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Check out everything we discussed in the show notes. And until next time, be well. Thank you so much for joining me and please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. Head over to Instagram and join me at Candy Washington. I can't wait to hear from you.